right. Welcome, everyone, to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. And today's guest is someone I've had the privilege of knowing for over 20 years. Someone that personally has made a huge impact on my life and development and trajectory in life. And someone I can't make enough for that impact. Um, But the reason we're bringing on J.W. Marshall today is not about our story. It's really about his experience as a thought leader in the education technology space. He's someone who spent uh, just about every year of his 17 years in the education technology space, as well as uh, being a host of a really awesome podcast on EdTech. He just has a lot of opinions, a lot of insights to bring us. And this is a topic we haven't really touched on on the podcast. So I'm very, very excited to have JW Marshall. So with that, JW, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Dustin. I am so excited to be on the show. I'm a huge fan. Uh, So uh, if I name drop some of your past guests and what I've learned from them, I apologize in advance, but uh, I'm like Buddy the Elf today. I'm very excited to uh, be on the show and uh, hopefully your listeners take uh, away some uh, some good content today. That's awesome, man. So uh, let's start out. Who are you and what do you love about what you do? Perfect. I love this question so much. I actually use it on my show as well. So uh, congratulations. Um, I am a a husband, a father, a son, a brother, a Christian, um, and uh, a helper of people. Um, I think that's, uh, you know, kind of one of the things that's always been a thread in my life, even since I was young. Um, you know, why do I love what I do? I love helping other people. I love helping them think in new ways through the podcast. I love helping them um, gain confidence in themselves, if that's working with educators or working with students. Um, and ultimately, I, I love helping people reach their potential. Um, and I think EdTech is a great vehicle to help educators reach their potential, to help students reach their potential. Um, my mother was a teacher for 40 years. And so education has always been a passion of mine. And um, if I can help uh, inspire the uninspired and I can help people um, realize their potential, gain confidence, then then that brings me joy that uh, fulfills my purpose. Can you give us, I mean, uh, I, I had the privilege of knowing you in college, knowing how multifaceted uh, you are as a person, but also how talented you are. And so I think the opportunities to go whatever direction from music, which some people may not know about you, or all the way to uh, marketing at any company that you wanted to work for. How did you decide to land in the ed tech space? Yeah. So as I mentioned, my uh, mother was a teacher for 40 years. So I helped her growing up, great papers. Uh, I always liked school um, a lot to reference one of your past episodes with Michael Horn. Um, I feel like I was gaming the system a little bit. Um, and uh you know, did well in school, but um, later in life realized there was so much more I could have done just being passionate about learning instead of just trying to get the A or get on to the next thing and, and kind of that gaming. Um, but for me, uh, I was a business major, as you know, at uh, SMU here in Dallas and uh, was very involved as a student in student leadership and uh, residence life and almost went into higher ed right out of school. Uh, a lot of people might not know this. Um, and my mother gave me the advice. She said, you got this business degree. Why don't you go work in the real world for a year? And if you don't love it, go into teaching, go into you know administration, go into education. And I really got lucky. I looked for companies that I could put my business skills to use, but are helping impact education and landed with a, an amazing company called Study Island. Uh, which many of your listeners have probably uh, heard of or used uh, over the last 15 years. Um, It was one of the first online 
uh, learning uh, programs that really uh, caught on uh, nationwide um, just over three to five years. And so I was one of 10 people working there. And six years later, uh, I think we had 350 employees and we acquired other ed tech companies and really kind of paved the way for um, a lot of online learning. And, uh, and then after that, to kind of get into my story a little bit, uh, I had a lot of people calling me, reaching out to me on LinkedIn um, and saying, how did you do what you did? And we got this startup and we want to do it too, just like you guys. And so that really kind of was the springboard to my career in consulting with ed tech companies and working with ed tech companies. Um, and I've really been blessed in that that was an amazing, passionate company that helped educators, that helped students. And I've gotten to kind of handpick, uh, you know, just working with those companies with great products, with great people, with great mission um, and, and hearts for serving and not just um, making a lot of money or growing a company and selling it, uh, that type of thing, which is kind of the, the other side of ed tech, right? It is a lot of times a for-profit uh, world, but that does spark innovation. And uh, so there's kind of two sides to the coin, but uh, that's a long answer into kind of how I got into uh, what I was doing, and um, and so many of the companies I've worked with, um, the the people are so passionate, and that they the work they do gets to not just impact one classroom or one school or one district, but it gets to impact thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions of students sometimes. And so it is um, it's one step removed. Uh, I think at some point later in my career, I want to do some adjunct uh, teaching, um, maybe a pr assistant uh, pr pr professor or something like that. Um, I, I have that heart uh, when the time is right. Uh, anyone out there listening uh, has an opportunity for me on the side, uh, let me know. But, um, you know, right now I'm, I'm in a great place. I love what I do and uh, I love getting to help, to help kids. Ultimately, I think there's no greater um, endeavor than education of our children for our country's sake, for the world's sake. I think everything does start with and end with education. Um, and now it's great recent trends to see uh, pre-K to gray is the new term. Everyone is expected to be a lifelong learner uh, moving forward. It's not just uh, for K through 12, it's not just higher ed, but all of us need to be learning uh, new skills and following our passions so that um, those opportunities are, uh, we're ready to meet those opportunities as they come throughout our, not just our careers, but throughout our lives. So two quick things. One, I'm gonna email this uh, interview to our favorite university president, our Gerald Turner down at SX, uh, to see if I can help with that. But two, okay. uh, I've heard a lot of terms, you know, pre-K 12, pre-K through college, uh, pre-K college career ready. You just said pre-K through uh, gray. And I don't think I've, I've heard that a ton of places. Where, where, where did you first come across that? And how is that impacting the way ed tech companies are starting to evolve and serve the marketplace? Yeah, so it, it's an emerging term over the last couple of years. I think a lot of it has come through the pandemic um, as adult learners. Um, it's the, growest, the fastest growing segment of ed tech right now as adult learners because there's this new focus on you see the the great resignation right now uh people don't want to just have a job they want to do something that's meaningful and gives them purpose and now more than ever uh you can do that you can go out and learn new skills online and whether that's a micro learning course or an online university or everything in between um, and even now you're seeing a lot of employers a lot of companies especially the fortune 500s providing more opportunities for ongoing education either provided by the company or that they're funding their people 
um, to, to go out there and continue learning, getting better at their skills. Uh, it's a fast paced, evolving global economy. And, you know, the jobs uh, that you have today may not be the jobs you have tomorrow. And so I think in the pandemic, it's really shown a light on the need for all of us at every age to uh, continue learning and following our passions. And I think full circle, that gives us even more urgency for K through 12 students, not just to cram them full of facts and figures and get them ready for tests, but to really teach them how to learn and inspire them to want to learn. I think those are the two most important things we can do in, in pre-K through 12 education is, is to foster that culture of uh, lifelong learning and passion for learning at every age level. And if we can do that, um, they're going to be able to you know, learn for the rest of their lives, which is not just uh, a nice to have anymore. It's really a must have um, as, as the world continues to evolve. Yeah. So from your perspective, focusing on uh, you know, pre-K 12, um, what role do you think technology plays in the classroom or in the school building? Yeah, and I think that's something that we've covered a lot on my Voices of E-Learning podcast with a lot of different uh, thought leaders. Really, I think what has happened is we finally, for 20 years, been talking about technology in the classroom and ed tech. And in the last two years, it's really set in that um, it's not, again, a, a nice to have or, yeah, we have a technology lab or, you know, we're going towards one to one in five years. Um, it really has become a, a part of the core instead of a supplement. Um, and that is a really exciting change. I like to say on my show that this is the, the dawn of the golden age of education and not just of online learning, but I think the combination of the in-person and the online uh, learning, the technology is really, we're scratching the surface right now. And we're seeing how much more engaging and efficient um, the learning process can be for students. And really, I think the big hurdle is that a lot of educators were still kind of holding out um, and a little afraid of technology. Is this coming to take my job? And now that all educators pretty much have, have been forced by necessity to, to use technology and leverage it, um, the vast majority has realized that this is not a replacement for what I do. No computer system or artificial intelligence can inspire a student the way that a real person can. And it's funny, I interviewed Sal Khan uh, for the last episode of my uh, Voices of E-Learning season one. And uh, if you go back and play the tape, even Sal Khan says, you know, if you give me a great instructor in person and the best online learning program in the world, I take the in-person instructor every time. Um, it really is no replacement. But that being said, educators using technology have, have started to realize, oh, wow, this actually can enhance my job and it can enhance the student experience. And I can have meaningful data at my fingertips that's easy to access and easy to act on so that I can spend more time, individual instruction, small group instruction, based on what that student needs just in time, right? When they need it versus hours of grading papers, hours of, you know, paperwork and reports and building the strategic plan. Um, and then by the time you implement it, the students already moved on to the next topic or the next thing. Um, so I think that's the most exciting thing for me is that educators have sadly uh, had to embrace technology, but I think the silver lining is they've realized that if you use it right, it can be so powerful in enhancing what they do and enhancing the student uh, learning experience. And again, back to my you know first point, that's what it's all about, giving the, the students that 
the tools to be successful and the inspiration and the passion to learn. And I think technology is gonna be a part of that uh, from now uh, moving forward. So, you know, if I'm a district administrator or a, a principal trying to make decisions about uh, bringing in certain technologies into my district, what are some questions that you think uh, folks should be asking themselves? Or what are some uh, uh, paradigms that they should have as they're trying to choose the right provider um, for their schools or their district? That's a great question. Um, and that's actually uh, been a challenge, a growing challenge over the last, I would say, 10 years is schools are getting more technology, they're getting more devices, but they're not necessarily leveraging them to their fullest. Right. Um, and I think many districts are, are oversaturated with um, programs, um, that there's not enough time in the day to train all the teachers on all the things because it's a one-off here and a one-off there, and this teacher wanted that, and this school wanted that. And there's a lot of them, honestly, that sit and don't get used. And, and it's a, a waste of money. <laughs> uh, and it's a waste of time if you're going to do kind of a, a little bit of training and then nobody uses it. So number one, I would recommend doing a real honest audit of all the things you have and who's using what and are things being used. And really less is more. I think looking for a handful of quality programs uh, and technologies that are really going to support your specific school or district's mission your you know be again being honest with yourself where are we at uh technology wise and you know where are we going which is probably the most important question and how can we kind of pare back uh kind of prune back and then really be intentional and strategic with the decisions we make um and then on the other hand not just doing what everyone else is doing i know that is a big thing in education uh, people like to see someone else try it first um, but with so many great new technologies emerging, even in the last two years, um, really being open to, uh, you know, new technologies and new platforms that are, that are coming out and gaining uh, momentum very quickly, um, because you could pick something that uh, was really helpful five years ago that has not stayed up with the times and is a little outdated, whereas something within the last year or two, you know, really could be uh, you know, the future. So it, it's easier said than done, Dustin. It is, as any administrators listening for sure know, it is um, you, you know, a really challenging situation with so many options, uh, which is a great problem to have, but also which ones do we go with? Um, and then second, I would say really talk to your teachers. Um, I know it sounds uh, simple, um, but uh, I can't tell you how many times over the years I've worked with companies that um, the teachers are all bought into something and for whatever reason it doesn't get adopted, something else gets adopted and the teachers don't use it. Um, it's gotta be something that the teachers are bought into um, and look for partners that are really looking to be your partner that aren't just a vendor of uh, a software um, I would look for partners that aren't charging you by the hour for support. Um, and I would look for vendors that uh, don't have a, uh, you know, multi-day training. If, if it takes multiple days to train you on a platform, it's probably not going to be used because it's not intuitive and easy. It's got to be easy to use. Um, many programs now don't even really need training. Uh, maybe a 30-minute uh, web recording of the basics. And then teachers should just intuitively be able to log in. Uh, and use the, the platform or the software. So um, if it feels hard in the evaluation process, I would, I would take that as a red flag and kind of run the other direction. You really want those programs that are um, you know, easy to use and that have teacher support. Um, the other tip I'll give, 
for uh, a lot of districts, what we've seen as far as implementing uh, programs is starting with uh, a limited release, whether that's uh, a few teachers in one school, a few schools in one district, and really pouring into them and look for those ones where you know that they'll embrace it and they'll be your champions and have the other schools or the other teachers go, wait a minute, why didn't I get that? Whereas if you roll it out to everyone on day one, a lot of times they're like, oh, this is one more thing being pushed down on me and you know, uh, you know, I'm not bought in. But if you get them you know, seeing someone else using it and talking about it, being excited about it, then they're gonna wanna jump on. It's a little bit of psychology involved there, but um, that's really worked. And, that doesn't have to be multiple years. That could be weeks or months that you kind of roll it out and uh, you have a little bit of scarcity to create that demand even within your school or within your district. And um, once people get uh, to using something that's working, uh, then you're off and running. That's fascinating. Uh, one of the things that you said early in that answer is um, when you're evaluating programs, there could be technology platforms or programs that you've used to solve certain problems for five years that that company may not have been investing to get to the latest, greatest solution. And so they're kind of resting on their laurels and it may not be moving the needle as well as it could for you. And so to your point, like while it's a, it can seem like a crowded market at times, it's something that somewhere in your district or school, you need to be evaluating every year to figure out, is this thing that we're using the latest and greatest and getting us closer um, to our outcomes, all right? Yeah, and is it making an impact? Um, that's the, the number one thing. And so if your test scores have been stagnant, not that that's the only unit of measurement, um, you know, maybe it is time to, to change it up. Um, and, and nowadays, it, programs should make an impact immediately, within weeks, within months, within one year. You should know if it's moving the dial and working. And if it's not, or if it's just a small increment, look for something else because you hear stories every day. I hear stories every day of uh, technology just changing the game for you know schools or for districts. And no, no district should be sitting there with something that's just average. There are really great programs out there. There are really great platforms. And, um, and you wanna be a part of those success stories. Those should be the norm, not the exception. Um, so if you're not just blown away with the, the impact, with the, um, you know, the, uh, responsiveness of a company, the partnership model versus the vendor. Um, you know, I think that's becoming more and more important in the pandemic too, is what, not only what does the company provide, but what does the company stand for? And what is the company's mission? Is it, you know, to help every student, uh, you know, uh, increase their reading level? Is it to, um, you know, bring science into the 21st century, you know, and, and how do they back that up, um, you know, with what they, you know, do as a company? I think it couldn't be more important now than ever than just another vendor, just another publisher that, uh, yeah, we have this idea to make some content and, and we hope you like it, you know, good luck. Um, it really is a, a partnership model now. And, you know, you can't partner with a hundred different companies, right? Because even a free trial, a free launch of something isn't free. It takes time. It takes resources. It takes, um, you know, the opportunity cost of using something else. So, really being strategic and not looking just at the dollars, but looking at the impact um, and really looking for the wow factor. Companies and products should wow you um, very early and very often to keep your business. Uh, this is, I think schools and districts have never been in a better position of having options and choice. Uh, and so if you're not um, blown away with the, the products you're using, the companies you're working with, then it's time to really take a hard look at, you know, 
um, are they the best solutions for what you're trying to accomplish as a district at our school? Yeah. So early in your career, you started at Study Island, which I think was a major breakthrough in innovation and education technology for the uh, education world. What, what innovations, you can even talk to that, what innovations have you seen in the last 17 years that have caused you to say, man, that's really cool? Um, and what was it about those things that you found so attractive? Yeah, so I will say a study island, and it's finally 15, 17 years catching on everywhere else. Um, the secret sauce was really building content state by state to the standards, not again just for test prep, but because that's what teachers are expected to teach and students are expected to learn. Um, and we were blown away that for years and years, no one else really did that. Um, it was kind of the old school textbook publisher model where uh, the company is the expert and they give you the content and then you have to fit it into your scope and sequence. Um, and it's really, you know, kludgy and there are a lot of gaps and teachers end up having to create a lot of their own content. Um, I think the biggest innovation overall is we're getting to that point of content that um, there's enough out there that teachers don't have to create their own um, near as much as they used to. Um, so that's really exciting. Um, I think second is uh, there is a lot of really cool um, artificial intelligence and data, uh, smart data that is out there creating personalized learning class for students based on their diagnostics and their their formative and their summative assessments. So I think that personalization is something we've talked about for 20 years in ed tech um, and how great it will be when we finally figure it out. I think a lot of companies are really finally figuring out how to do that to where the student can be self-guided, self-paced to some degree, but the educator is right there every step of the way, monitoring that progress and really intervening at the perfect moment to see, oh, this student is really starting to struggle here. The AI has tried to help they need more. And, and again, uncovering that student, you know, may have some social emotional issues they're going through. Um, I think that's the other thing the pandemic has really brought to light is the best technology in the world, the best curriculum doesn't do you any good if the students aren't socially emotionally there and not worried about food insecurity, not worried about you know, their home environment, really, um, you know, that environment. I think what we're seeing now is educators becoming more the facilitators and the guides of education beyond just um, the provider of content or the lecturer or the, the kind of old school uh, way that we try to, the paper grader, right? The, uh, the grade assigner. Um, I think we're really seeing educators step into this new role of curating the right content, curating the right programs, um, spending the right amount of targeted instructional time, individually, small group, um, and really, helping that student be inspired to take ownership of their own learning um, because ultimately the teacher can't be there 24 seven. And so I think that's probably the most exciting innovation in the last couple of years that we've seen the integration of technology in the core of the classroom and the student experience that um, is just something we've wanted for 20 years in ed tech. And it's finally starting to happen here in the last year or two. It's awesome. I think, you know, you talked earlier about that term that I'm taking after today is a you know, pre-K to gray, uh, think about folks being lifelong learners. I mean, you and I both talked, I think we were both really successful in college, but uh, when you introduced me to Michael B. Horn and having a conversation with him about what learning actually looks like, uh, he admitted, and then now we have both admitted that we are more focused on gaming the system than really diving into the love of learning. And obviously we've evolved since then, but like that's that's kind of my hope and prayer for my kids. How How do I get them out of the rat race of 
just thinking through grades and just have them geek out on learning. Um, you know, Michael B. Horn was one of those like really cool people that you've had on your podcast. I'm, and you've had some awesome folks. I'm just curious, are there a couple of pieces of advice or interesting topics you touched on while interviewing folks that really have just stuck with you that you could share with us? Yeah, um, there's so many uh, that I don't even know if I can name all of them. Um, but uh, I would say that, oh man, where to start? The, the other kind of key I think that we're seeing is a reoccurring theme. And I'm actually launching a new podcast just about this topic. Yeah. Um, so I'll continue the voices of e-learning and season two is ramping up and we're going to keep asking the question of, um, you know, how do we continue this momentum that um, as we hopefully come out of the pandemic, we don't just uh, go back to the way things were before, because the way things were before in 2019 um, weren't that great, especially for a lot of uh, student populations, um, especially for the digital divide and having, you know, a device and a, a internet uh, connection that was of uh, quality bandwidth, right? Um, and we've made more um, strides in that direction than ever before in the history of, uh, you know, connectivity. There's still a lot of work to go, but but we, we've really, you know, cut a lot of the red tape and made a lot of things happen. And I hope that continues. But also you hear a lot of thought leaders at the state or the federal level now talking about this importance to accelerate learning. Um, to make up for the learning loss. And so our, our new show is going to be called Accelerating K-12 Education. And it's really going to talk about how do we build on this foundation of change and how do we really accelerate the rate of student learning? Because that's something that, that can be accelerated, right? It's not just getting through the content, but getting through it um, at a, a faster rate and a more efficient rate. And I think that's my hope is that this students uh, that have experienced this learning loss will not be the, the lost generation, but will be the beneficiaries of this change. So that if we can change you know, the way we do things and improve it and accelerate the rate that these students can learn, they're gonna learn more by the end of their student career than they would have if the pandemic wouldn't have happened. Um, but that is a big uh, ask. Um, and so really on the podcast, we talk about let's think big and let's act big. Now is the time. All the ESSER funds and federal funds are coming in. Uh, they're not going to last forever. And let's be really strategic in how we use them and how do we build the right infrastructure, layer on the right uh, you know, technology, pour more into our teachers, into professional development, into you know, the more we pour into them, the more they'll pour into our students, which your podcast has covered beautifully with many of your guests. Um, and how do we accelerate the rate of uh, learning? so that these students are better off than they would have been uh, before the pandemic. But at the same time, it's kind of funny because you hear some of these leaders talking about this. And my question often to them is, why haven't we been talking about that before? Why did it take a pandemic to realize that our students are capable of a lot more than we're asking them to do? Um, and you have kids, I have kids, uh, you know, and a lot of your podcast guests have said, you know, if you uh, give your kids the right amount of responsibility and expectations, um, they're able to achieve more oftentimes than we give them credit for. And so I think we really need to look system-wide at our K-12 system and what are those expectations and not test expectations, but student growth expectations. How do we enable every student to reach their potential? And how do we inspire them to want to reach higher, right? To, you know, uh, take, a, you know, real ownership of their, their learning path 
whatever that is, if that's higher ed, if that's career and technical, um, if that's, you know, uh, going into the military, whatever it is, how do we get them to want to take those steps necessary to achieve, you know, their own personal goals and greatness. And so, uh, again, I think that was a long winded answer to, uh, to your question, but, um, as I end up talking with more and more people in the real world these days, um, I often get passionate and talk about education. And, um, and I try to give people hope that things are getting better. Things have been getting better for a while now. I know it's easy to focus on the learning loss and the, the negative, but things really are getting better. There's more promise and potential um, for our students and for the, the learning experiences that they're having now than there ever have been before. Um, so hopefully uh, everyone I talk to, I'm an evangelist for uh, progress um, that we've already made and celebrating that. And also so much more potential that we have to, uh, to move forward with um, right now, not next year or in five years, right now it's happening. And uh, I always like to pause and thank the educators listening, the administrators listening. You've come through the hardest 18 plus months uh, ever in history of education as well. So thank you for your service and and hopefully to you, you know, there's hope at the end of the tunnel, we're coming out of this thing and we're gonna come out of it better than we were before. So two quick questions before we get to our final series of questions. Uh, sure. One, when can folks, uh, when and where can folks find your new podcast that's gonna be launching? Yeah, so season two of Voices of E-Learning um, is going to be launching in January. Uh, you can find it on um, uh, any uh, where you listen to podcasts, uh, also on uh, marketscale.com, uh, and then um, Accelerating uh, K-12 Education, same thing, will be available everywhere, and also on summitk12.com, and uh, we just couldn't be more excited for both of those uh, shows to, uh, to keep every week bringing more thought leaders to the table. And, um, and as you know, as a host, um, I learn more every time I do these and get more inspired um, than ever. I just listened to your uh, recent episode um, about gratitude and I'm like, oh man, I got to like do some, some more gratitude every day and with my teams and, you know, with our schools. So um, yeah, no, we're excited to, to have these shows and um, to have such a a great following that we've built over the last year or so and would love for everyone to check them out yeah and the other question is uh for people who don't know you uh anybody who does know you knows that you're a very intentional person and uh you follow your heart well and so you made a change recently to i think uh, summit k-12 and i'm just curious uh what it was about that organization and what you're excited about the vision of what you guys are trying to accomplish of why you're you're part of that leadership team now yeah, no, uh, that's a great question. Um, and so Summit K-12, I think what really drew me to them was their their purpose and their mission. Um, and so they play off of the mountain theme of, you know, reaching the summit of the mountain. And um, their, their tagline is enabling every student to reach their summit. Um, so they're very big on uh, differentiation, on um, equity, um, and not just equality, which I think another one of your shows has talked about. It's not enough just to give everyone a device to give them an internet connection, but you really have to meet them with their, where they're at with their content that speaks to them and their language and their uh, you know, interest and, and that type of thing. So they have a really uh, big heart for equity for students. Um, they work a lot in language development with uh, ESL and emergent bilingual students, um, which is um, a, a pot student population that needs uh, more resources and more uh, focus. Uh, and they also work a lot in science. Uh, and I, I've 
I've almost went into being a science major. I've had a heart for science. And um, it's interesting, you know, language development and science don't maybe make sense on the surface, uh, but vocabulary for science is a second language. Um, and if you're a, an ESL student, it's a third language. And so the, the logo um, for Summit is two mountaintops. One is the language summit that you're trying to reach with your students, that students are trying to reach, and the other is content. Um, in this case, uh, science, eventually we'll add math and social studies. And so you can't do one or the other. You can't just teach them fifth grade science if they're not reading at a fifth grade uh, level. Uh, and you can't just work on language development for years and years before you start talking about content. You have to do them at the same time. And so many educators, especially at the lower levels, aren't necessarily experts in both. Um, and so I really love uh, that someone is doing something different than, than anyone else and really building language and content um, cross-curricular just from the beginning foundationally and then scaffolding to meet each student where they're at language uh, development and content development so that you're not just dumbing down the content, you're strategically uh, meeting the student where they're at and helping them build the content and build the language at the same time. Um, so, um, you know, we all know that uh, if students can't read proficiently by certain levels, third grade, fifth grade, that they have a really tough time for the rest of their academic career and for their life. And uh, full circle, if we're all going to be lifelong learners now, we can't give up on these students ever. We have to, you know, stay with it. Um, even if they're in high school and reading at a very low level, um, we can really reach those students uh, and empower those teachers to, to use our programs and to inspire them at the same time to, hey, here's where you're at. You don't have to be here forever. You can you can move forward one step by one step. Um, so that was the, the reason for the change here. Uh, it's fast growing uh, company that is uh, really puts the customer first and uh, is really innovative um, and building into some of the artificial intelligence and things like that, that I talked about. So it was uh, not something I was looking for. It was something that found me as uh, often happens in uh, life and in your career. Uh, and I couldn't be more excited to, to be there and get to bring uh, podcasting and things to, uh, you know, an ed tech company. There's not a lot out there that do it. Um, I think Franklin Covey Education uh, doing this show is just phenomenal. Um, I am also uh, a huge fan of the show. So if there's ever a, uh, a quiz uh, game show or something uh, on all of your past guests and the content, I would love to be a participant in that because I, I just couldn't. I tell everybody I know about this show. Uh, the highest compliment I think I can pay you is uh, I don't even listen to my own uh, shows uh, and I spot spot check other shows. This is the one show that I literally listen to every week. Um, and uh, and time is so valuable for, for everyone uh, that uh, I just, uh, I love it. And uh, I hope you keep going for, for many years. That's awesome, man. Well, I, I wouldn't be here without you. You know that. Uh, the, uh, I, I just, I, I know how much you love being at market scale and you love the folks there. And so for you to take this jump, I knew it was something that, you know, was, you, saw, you thought a lot about. And so uh, I have no doubt about the integrity of the work that Summit K-12 is doing and you're going to be a part of. So I'm just excited to see where that takes you. Um, we've been closing out this season with uh, three quick questions. And one of them I started asking, you know, what do you read, you know, what are you reading on a regular basis or what books really impact you? But really in today's day and age, we consume information differently, right? There are podcasts we yeah. listen to, there are audio books we listen to, there are maybe news shows we watch or YouTube, uh, we get our, so my question for you is, how, what are you consuming? How do you consume your information and what are you either reading or listening to 
on a regular basis that's helping you grow? Yeah, and that's a really great, great question. And, and I'll be the first to admit, even if you, you knew me years ago, I'm not a huge reader, which I've always felt bad about. Um, I feel like I'm in academics, I'm in education, I should be reading a book a week. Um, it's just never been my uh, core strength learning modality. Um, but I am a huge fan of things like Masterclass. Um, and just a shameless plug for Masterclass. Uh, they have some phenomenal content. Some of it is very entertainment focused, um, but uh, I even uh, pulled up my uh, app here, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, um, talking about the power of communication. Um, Chris Voss talking about negotiation, Ron Finley about gardening. I would never read a book about gardening, but this guy, Ron Finley, he's called the gangster gardener. And I, I got a garden going with my kids now because I was inspired by it because it's visual and it's easy to consume 10 minute, you know, kind of video modules. Um, what else? Jeff Goodby and Rich Silverstein on marketing and storytelling. Um, Matthew Walker talking about the science of sleep, which is amazing. Everyone should know that. How is that not taught in school? Um, Dan Pink, who you've had on your show, uh, talking about how everyone is a salesman to some degree because you're selling your ideas, you're selling your children on why they should get in the car and go to school. Um, and uh, what else? David Axelrod and Carl Rove uh, talking about campaign strategies from both sides of the political aisle. Just super interesting. Um, LinkedIn Learning also, uh, I love consuming their short firm, uh, you know, content. And um, uh, I do Audible also. So I do read books audibly. Um, a couple of books recently, um, The Power of Moments and Made to Stick, two books by uh, Chip and Dan Heath, uh, oversubscribed by Daniel Priestley, talking about the, the value of scarcity. Uh, and then, of course, a classic, uh, Carol Dweck's uh, Mindset. I just read that again uh, recently. So uh, yeah, while I don't read a book a week, I would say I consume more than a book a week of content through other mediums. So I love that you asked that question in that way, because um, a lot of people, hopefully that gives someone else out there a little hope. If you're not a, a vivacious reader, um, you can still better yourself um, every day, every week and consume content in the way that, you know, if it's TikTok or YouTube, uh, you know, that's still, as long as you're intentional with it uh, and you don't get off task, it's still a great way to uh, always be learning. Yeah, I mean, to your point, I I had joined uh, TikTok as like investigating how are all these mediums impacting learning, and then I found a few folks that put content out there, you know, whether it's a faith perspective, a learning perspective, a sports perspective, where I was actually watching the clips and learning and taking notes. So to your point, like, yeah, I mean, I think traditionally, you know, I, my wife is definitely a reader. I'm just a little bit behind her on the reading scale, but uh I, I'm always consuming information and I believe every great leader is someone who is constantly trying to grow themselves and learn. And I know that about you, um, the reading part, as well as the constant collecting information. And so I was just curious to, for you to answer that for folks of how do you get information? Because I know that you're always in learning mode. Absolutely. And, and the one thing I would say is be intentional and write it down. Um, just consuming, it could kind of go in one ear and out the other. Um, but, but really taking notes and writing it down, setting reminders for yourself to put things into practice like gratitude. I got a reminder every day at 445 to spend 15 minutes. Um, otherwise, I'll be like, oh, that's a great idea. And then a week later, I've got another great idea. So really be intentional and, um, you know, and write it down and commit to, you know, one thing, um, you know, each week or each day uh, that you want to stick with. And if it works, keep doing it. And if it doesn't, you'll find the, the next thing. But uh, for a while there, I was kind of information overload because you can, you know, 
really sink your teeth into all this info, but if it doesn't stick, uh, you know, then it's not really making an impact on your life. Uh, and I know that's what your change starts here podcast is all about is, is not just consuming information once a week, but really taking those nuggets away that are going to make an impact on your life and the lives of the people around you. So, uh, be intentional for sure. Yep. So I'm excited about this question, given, I know your history, uh, being in music and being a musician yourself, uh, what are you listening to? And this is when your kids are not in the car, because there may be a different answer. But what are you listening to? Not that you listen to bad music. It just you may want to put on like Cocomelon like songs when your kids are in the car. What what are you listening to when you're driving around Dallas? Yeah, and uh, I didn't know if you were going to ask me this one or not, because we could spend about another hour just talking <laughs> music. Um, I grew up in a musical family. My dad was a drummer in the 60s and 70s. My mom was a not only a teacher, but also a band teacher and uh, orchestra conductor and taught private lessons at home from five to nine every night, voice lessons, every instrument you can imagine. So I grew up with music um, and, and played in a band for a number of years. Um, so music is a huge part of my life. Um, and so, um, yeah, for me right now, I've been, I know it's obligatory to say the Beatles, but there have been so many great documentaries about them recently um, on different platforms. I've really dove back into them and kind of the behind the scenes behind the story that these are just four regular guys. They aren't kind of these like stratospheric, you know, uh, superstars that we, you know, have always thought of them as. Uh, so I thought that was cool. Um, so I love the the old school, you know, 60s and 70s rock stuff. And then I'm a kid of the 90s. So uh, I love bands like the Ava Brothers and uh, Guster and uh, uh, Guilty Pleasure for John Mayer, even though I don't really like the guy. Some of his music is just so good. Um, when I need to get some work done or work out, uh, there's a band called Cake that is kind of obscure um, that I love to listen to. So, uh, and then Dave Matthews is kind of the uh, the other obligatory '90s guy, jam band musician um, that uh, I, I have the Sirius uh, XM channel, and you get to hear all of his live concerts through the decades, uh, and you always just hear something different, something new. So, music is a huge part of my life. I start the day with it. I try to incorporate it throughout the day, and then. Uh, try to impart it into my uh, kids uh, as well. So uh, there's a song by the Rolling Stones called You Can't Get What You uh, Can't Always Get What You Want. And uh, I think that's just a good message for them to learn at a young age. So we'll play that in the car and they sing so loud. I don't know if they fully get it yet because they're four and two, but uh, they just love to sing. And so uh, if I can impart that in, into the kids uh, with a little bit of contemporary or to me, contemporary music, old music, besides the uh, the Disney music and uh, uh, all that fun stuff, then I feel like um, I get some dad points uh, for getting some of that to uh, into my kids' ears at a young age. I'm curious to see how that goes after Christmas. It seems like you, you're getting them started with King Always Get What You Want. I'm going to see how that goes. Uh, you can tell me what we learned. <laughs> I'll let you know if it backfires. <laughs> all right. Well, dude, uh, last question. Um, you know, all the great guests that we have on here um, are constantly, you know, again, they're all learners, but they're always surrounded by really talented people as well. What's the best piece of either leadership advice or, you know, personal growth change advice you've received recently that you just can't get out of your mind that you want others to know about? Yeah. So for me, this, this question is deeply uh, personal. And I don't know if I've talked to you in the last couple of months, but uh, my father unexpectedly passed away um, Labor Day and um, uh, had a heart attack. He was only 73 and was obviously a big inspiration in my life. Um, and so uh, he in 73 years probably lived more life than people live in a hundred. 
And it kind of ties back to Dan Pink's episode with you as well about regret. And uh, I would say he, my dad did not live a life of regret. He may regret a few of the things he did in, in his life, but I don't think he had any regrets of not taking an opportunity and not doing something. Um, that he was always creating a new sports team for us as his kids. He was always just thinking big and acting big and, um, and just had a heart for other people. He, he just could talk to the store clerk for an hour and make them feel like they were, have been best friends their whole lives. Um, people just uh, on Facebook came out of the woodworks from high school, people he impacted. And so for me, I think it's just living that life of uh, taking chances, taking a new opportunity when it comes along, starting a podcast. I'd never thought I'd start a podcast um, and just not having any regrets of things that you, you didn't do um, it is really uh, something that's been on my heart for the last couple of months and something that uh, I wanted to share with the audience that if you want to leave a mark on the world, on your family, um, uh, have a life of impact um, to, to just, do, just do it. Don't overthink it. Um, you know, do some preparation and, and don't be reckless. But um, if you got a passion, follow it and um, and really be aware of the impact that it can have, not just on yourself, but on uh, others around you and on the world. Well, JW, as I, I corn, uh, I would say cornily, I don't know if it's in word, I'm a little cheesy when it comes to like my appreciation for you, because obviously we're good friends. But Every time I'm around you, I always just want to make sure you know what kind of impact you had on my life at a very formative age around 18, 19, um, that set me on a really cool trajectory with my life. And it's funny to say that uh, around the time when we reconnected after a number of years, you set me back on this podcasting life. And so it's just crazy. Um, it's cool to see how uh, you're being used to impact so many others. And I just feel blessed to be a part of it. So um, thank you for being on here today. I know we joked about thinking about J.W. Marshall's name next to the Dan Pinks of the world, but uh, in terms of how uh, you impact people around you, how you impact organizations you work with, um, and how you help you know everything get better and improve things, you belong right there with every guest that we have. And I just appreciate you making time to be here with us. And I appreciate you and for everyone out there that, that helps others. Um, you know this too, uh, you've had an impact on me just as much, if not more. Um, and uh, so you always get more uh, when you give more. So uh, hopefully that'll be another word of inspiration for everybody to just go out there and do, uh, you know, kind things for other people. And uh, it'll come back to you more, even more so than, um, you know, the time you're putting in to help others. So true. All right. Well, Dubs uh, or JW, sorry. No, I only refer to him as Dubs. So Dubs, it's been awesome. Thanks for making time. We'll talk later, man. All right. Thanks. Have a good one. All right. See ya. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcast on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential.